This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. I'm Margaret Brennan in Washington, and this week on Face the Nation, my exclusive year-end conversation with Vice President Kamala Harris and our annual CBS News correspondence on what's ahead in 2022. 2021 was a year of ups, downs, and surprising setbacks for America, with a COVID pandemic that's suddenly intensifying despite the life-saving distribution of vaccines, and an economy that's created millions of jobs but sent prices soaring. The latest setback for the Biden administration? West Virginia Democrat Joe Manchin putting the president's $2 trillion social spending plan on ice as Congress wraps up for the holidays. I'm not giving up, the president's not giving up, and frankly, the stakes are too high. Vice President Kamala Harris will tell us about the administration's priorities in the new year and what the scrutiny of her first year in office has taught her. Do you think you're being set up to fail? No, I don't believe I'm being set up to fail. I'm Vice President of the United States. Anything that I handle is because it's a tough issue and it couldn't be handled at some other level. We talked policy and saw the personal side of the first woman, first black and first South Asian Vice President. What gets you fired up? Um, injustice. Injustice. Plus, a Face the Nation holiday tradition. Our year-end correspondence panel returns to wrap up 2021 and look forward to 2022. It's all just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. On this day after Christmas, we bring you a special conversation with Vice President Kamala Harris. We met up with her last week in her ceremonial office in the old executive office building for wide-ranging conversation. Everything from COVID to voting rights to the criticism that she has faced in her job. Medical experts are projecting that we could see as many as a million infections per day because of this new Omicron variant. Is our healthcare system prepared for what's coming? We are prepared for it, and um, there's no question. There is a lot about this moment um, that is frustrating, but let's not forget our individual power to actually do something about it. Everyone has to get vaccinated. The vaccines are free, they are safe, and they'll save your life. So we're already seeing hospitals overwhelmed with Delta. Mm -hmm. Inflation is real. It's going to be with us as long as the pandemic dominates. As you know, the exhaustion is just with us all the time. When can you tell the American people this will end? We have the power today to have an impact on tomorrow. And we can't shortchange the significance of that. We have the power today 
to go out and if you've not been boosted, go get boosted. The power today to go and get vaccinated. And that will have an impact on where we end up to tomorrow. Is it the fault of the unvaccinated? I don't think this is a moment to talk about fault. It, it, it is no one's fault that, that this virus hit our shores or hit the world. I would not blame it on anyone in that way, but it is more about individual power and responsibility. And it's about the, the decisions that everyone has the choice to make, no doubt. Mm -hmm. But it is clear that everyone has the ability to make a choice to save their lives and to prevent hospitalization if they get vaccinated and if they get the booster. And so I urge people to do that. This is going to be hard for the economy. Are you gonna to need to ask Congress for another relief package? Well, let's talk about the economy. What is within our grasp to pass Build Back Better? When we talk about the economy, the average person in America is gonna measure the economy based on can they actually just afford to get through the day and through the month? The cost of living, can they keep up with the cost of living, childcare, elder care, prescription drugs? You're talking about the Build Back Better Act like it still has some life to it. As you know, Senator Joe Manchin said he's a no. I, you don't have the votes. I'm not giving up, the president's not giving up, and frankly, the stakes are too high. It is the cost of the bill that has led Senator Joe Manchin, at least publicly, to say it's actually gonna hurt the economy. His argument is it'll add to inflation, among many other things. I think there is, without any question, room for discussion about what actually will be the impact to the economy, an objective, leading, and, and highly respected um, economists are weighing in on this discussion to say, in fact, no. When you look at what's actually possible right now, yeah. do you feel that Senator Manchin is playing fair with you? I think the stakes are too high for this to be in any way about any specific individual. We have to, you know, one of the things It's a 50-50 Senate, though, so you It is. It. I'm the tiebreaker. Exactly. Tie in fact, the president and I joke, and when I leave one of our meetings to go break a tie, he says, well, that's going to be a winning vote. Whenever <laughs> I vote, we win. It's a, it's a joke we have. But um, the stakes are so high, and we can't afford in this moment of time where we have an opportunity to do something so substantial in terms of public policy in America, to literally help families. I refuse to get caught up in the, what might be personal politics when the people who are waking up at three o'clock in the morning worried about how they're gonna get by could care less about the politics of DC. They just want us to fix things. But the child care tax credit has already expired. How do you we have to extend come up it. with it? We have how to do extend do that it without well, Senator Manchin. You don't give up. That's how we do it. We don't give up. That's how. So the president has also put you in charge of voting rights. Yeah. I've, and I've asked. Yeah. There is so much about this fight for um, justice and the ideals of our democracy that are part of just my DNA. You know, I've been meeting with prime ministers and presidents from around the world um, one of my favorite interactions was with the now um, past uh, chancellor of Germany, Angela Merkel. She came over for breakfast. And we talked about everything that has to do with our relative security as nations and, and our priorities. And then she asked me about voting. She asked me about voting. And she knew what was going on here. And this is not a, a 
subject that was unique to my conversation with her, by the way, in terms of world leaders. Because people around the world watch what we do as America. And right now, we're about to take ourselves off the map as a role model. If we let, if we let people destroy one of the most important pillars of a democracy, which is free and fair elections. You're talking about what's happening in state capitals around the country. I am. I'm talking about that. And I'm talking about what's not happening in this capital in Washington, D.C which is the passing of the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act and the Freedom to Vote Act. This is literally about our standing in the world. It's about the integrity of our democracy. When our kids look back five, ten years from now at this moment, it will be on our watch that we either stood for and fought for our, our democracy or not. And that, I think that is all at stake right now. But you still have the reality of a 50-50 Senate. Correct. And you have two senators who say they're not on board for changing the filibuster in order to try to push this through. So how do you overcome that democratic reality of not having the votes and not having a clear path forward? We will do and look at whatever is necessary to push for Congress to take this issue on. And we have to. We have to. Uh, carve out to the filibuster. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that we are going to urge the United States Congress, and we have been, to examine the tools they have available to do what is necessary to fight for and retain the integrity of our voting system in America. It sounds like you're open, though, to a carve out to the filibuster to get there. I. You were when you ran for president on the issue of climate. I. Are voting rights as important to you? I believe that voting rights is one of the most significant issues that is facing us as individuals and as leaders today. There's no question. No question. Voting rights lead to every other right. Mm -hmm. Every other right. And so we need to prioritize it as a nation. I think it's really important that in this conversation about what's happening in Washington, D.C. on the issue of voting, that we not lose sight of the fact that there is one whole group of people, half of the United States Senate, who are refusing to even debate this issue. But to that point, you were just in the Senate, and, yes. and the president spent decades there. How come you can't pull someone across the aisle on we this? Are or manage Joe Manchin within your own party? We are not going to give up on these issues. But you're right, it's a 50-50 Senate. It's a 50-50 Senate. And so, but it has to be a combination of us as an administration, but also everyone weighing in. And I'm mm -hmm. glad we're having this conversation. I think we have to continue to elevate the conversation about voting rights. Given the daily grind that people are facing, this may not feel like an immediate or urgent matter when in fact it is. And the more we have the opportunity to talk about it, the more I think people will see, yeah, I don't want an America of the mm -hmm. future for my kids to be an America where we are, 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 are suppressing the right of the American people to vote. What do you see as the biggest national security challenge confronting the U.S.? What is the thing that worries you and keeps you up at night? Frankly, one of them is our democracy. There is, I think, no question in the minds of people who are foreign policy experts that the year 2021 is not the year 2000. You know, I think there's so much about foreign and domestic policy that, for example, was guided and prioritized based on September 11th, 2001. And we are embarking on 
a, a new era where the threats to uh, our nation take many forms, including uh, the threat of autocracies taking over and having outsized influence around the world. And mm -hmm. so I go back to our, our point about the need to fight for the integrity of our democracy. In addition, it is obviously about what we need to do in the climate crisis. There are 100,000 Russian troops on the border with Ukraine. Yeah. Are we going to see a hot war in Europe in the next few weeks? Well, we are having direct conversations with Russia. We are very clear that, uh, that Russia should not invade the sovereignty of Ukraine, that we must stand up and we are standing up for its territorial integrity. We are working with our allies in that regard and we've been very clear that we are prepared to issue sanctions like you've not seen before. Does that mean sanctioning Vladimir Putin directly? I am not going to talk about specific sanctions, but we are making that clear to him and, and we are in direct conversations. And we are also working very closely with our allies. And again, let's use th this issue as an example of the importance of the strength of those relationships. But in the past, alongside allies, we've sanctioned. It's been punitive. It hasn't prevented anything. It hasn't stopped Vladimir Putin to date. And I'll repeat that the type of sanctions that we're talking about are sanctions that we've not done before. You said you were last in the room on the decision in Afghanistan to mm -hmm. pull out. Mm -hmm. You've talked about not abandoning allies. Mm -hmm. Do you feel personal responsibility for the chaos of that withdrawal? I fully supported the president's decision to, after what was taking on the, the fact of being in an endless war of pulling American troops out. And I think it's really important to remember that the previous administration negotiated a deal with the Taliban, did not invite the Afghan government to be at the table, and negotiated a deal that, that required and, and promised as part of an agreement that we would pull out by the end of May. Mm -hmm. So we were saddled with that responsibility based on an agreement between the United States and the Taliban. Well, and you agreed so, to the extend it and not to break the agreement with the Taliban. We made the decision that if we were to break the agreement, it would have been a whole other situation. And right now, I strongly believe that had we broken that agreement, we would be talking about the war in Afghanistan mm -hmm. and American troops in Afghanistan. And we're not talking about that. I don't regret that. But I know as a candidate, you pledged to protect the gains that were made for Afghan women. Yes. Yeah. And I feel very strongly about that. Many of those Afghan women are not in school today because the Taliban is in control. Which is why we are working through the UN and um, doing what we need to do through our friends to provide humanitarian assistance, bypassing um, the Taliban, to make sure that we are supporting women and girls there. One of our big issues in terms of any conversations with the Taliban is exactly this point, which is the condition, the status, and the treatment of women and girls, including for girls, access to education. Um, not to mention our concern about counterterrorism and what we need to do in terms of that, that threat. So these are real issues, there's no question. The United States has been and continues to be, since the end of August, the biggest donor of humanitarian aid to yeah, Afghanistan. But you know, a lot of that aid isn't able to make it into the people who need it because of the sanctions on the Taliban being controlled. So it's just Afghan women, do you worry 
that they were abandoned by the United States, essentially. I worry that the Taliban um, has not complied with what we know to be the appropriate treatment and the right treatment of girls and women. And that's why we are taking the posture that we are with the Taliban right now, because that is one of our greatest considerations and concerns. What do you think your biggest failure has been at this point? <laughs> to not get out of D.C. more. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, and I actually mean that sincerely uh, for a number of reasons. A large part of the relationship that he and I have built has been being in this, you know, together in the same office for hours on end, doing Zooms or whatever because we couldn't get out of D.C. And on issues that are about fighting for anything from voting rights to childcare to one of the issues that I care deeply about, maternal health. Being with the people who are directly impacted by this work, listening to them so that they, not some pundit, tells us what their priorities are, I think is critically important. I've talked to some of your former Senate colleagues uh -huh. and they say, you have been given an impossible portfolio. Donna Brazil, the former Democratic strategist, um, said, all the focus on turnover in your office is overblown, but you do need to renew and repurpose. Bakari Sellers said her portfolio is trash. You give someone a portfolio that is not meant for them to succeed. Do you think any of this is fair? Do you think you're being set up to fail? No, I don't believe I'm being set up to fail. But um, these more, are more Democrats. But, but more important, I'm vice president of the United States. Anything that I handle is because it's a tough issue and it couldn't be handled at some other level. And there are a lot of big, tough issues that need to be addressed. And it has actually been part of my lifelong career to deal with tough issues. And this is no different. Why do you think there is such scrutiny? I mean, women are always held to a different standard. That's just a fact. Is the fact that you're a woman and the fact that you are a minority in this office part of why there is such scrutiny? I'll leave that for others to deal with. I, you know, I, I have a job to do. And I'm going to get that job done. Let me just tell you, if you talk about being the first or being, um, maybe it's because I am that for the first time, maternal health is on the stage at the White House where we're bringing people in from around the country to talk about maternal mortality, um, to talk about issues like postpartum care and why we should extend Medicaid coverage so it's not just 60 days, but it's for a year because that's how long she needs that assistance. And to do it because it's the right thing to do regardless of your gender, regardless of your race, and it affects so many women around our country. We'll have a lot more of our conversation with the Vice President in one minute. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move, or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, 
As an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings at hundreds of stores, including Doc Martens, Ninja Kitchen, and Hotels.com. Prep for summer and save big on beauty, travel, electronics, and more. It's one of Rakuten's biggest cashback events, and it's on May 6th through May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cashback boost. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Here's more of our conversation with Vice President Kamala Harris. When you hear people start talking about 2024, do you feel that's disrespectful to you and to the president? I think that there are so many issues that are present issues in 2021 that I just don't have the luxury of engaging in that. You know, the, the pundits can sit back and do whatever they do. Do you feel that what becomes possible is just going to dramatically change after 2022, since Republicans, many project, will be taking the majority? We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. We'll see. You don't feel that calendar really pushing you to get things done in the year ahead? Before the I mean, I feel a great sense of urgency for a variety of reasons to do everything we do. And really, it, it really does boil down to the fact that, you know, I, I've done a lot of work as it relates to children. A day in the life of a child is a very long time. Mm-hmm. Sense of urgency, right? Um, what we need to do to, to get public transit, to improve public transit, because people are going to work on buses every day and the buses are breaking down. Sense of urgency, right? I can go down the list. And it really, for me, the focus is on, you know, what wakes people up in the middle of the night? You know, I call it the three o'clock in the morning issue. You know, when you wake up at three o'clock in the morning, for most people, what, what's on their mind is how are they gonna pay their bills? How are they gonna take care of the children? Are they gonna have a roof over their head, right? These are real issues that affect people every day. They don't have the luxury of waiting about, you know, ta- some chatter about, what's going to happen in an election that's three years out. Mm-hmm. You know. For people, they're going into their third year of this pandemic. You're talking about cost of living. Mm-hmm. Was it wrong to consider inflation transitory? I mean, these price spikes seem like they're going to be with us for a while. We have to address the fact that we got to deal with the fact that folks are pay- paying for gas, paying for groceries, and our are, are, are I need solutions to it. So mm-hmm. let's talk about that. Short-term solution includes what we need to do around the supply chain, right? So we went to the ports of Los Angeles, Long Beach, Savannah, Georgia, and said, hey, guys, no more five days a week, eight hours a day, 24-7. Let's move the products because mm-hmm. people need their product. They need what they need. We're dealing with it in terms of the long term, and that's about what we need to do to pass Build Back Better. It strengthens our economy. What do we need to do in terms of bringing down the cost of living? Is that your top priority for the new year? It is one of them. I don't have the luxury of having just one. (laughs) (laughs) 
Fair yeah, point. Yeah. Fair point. We got it done. People, people saw you a flash of anger the other day when you did that interview with Charlemagne. I can hear you. So who's the real president of this country? Is it Joe Manchin or Joe Biden? Madam Vice President. Come on, Charlemagne. I really Come on. I, it's Joe Biden. I can't no, tell no, sometimes. No, 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 no. It's Joe Biden, and I'm Vice President. And my name is Kamala Harris. And the reality is, because we are in office, we do the things like the child tax credit, which is going to reduce black child poverty by 50%. And people Frustration. Say, frustration. Yes. <laughs> well, that frustration, we saw that in the Kavanaugh hearings. What gets you fired up? Um, injustice. Injustice is just generally what will get me, um, you know, kind of, it, it's, I, I don't like unfairness. And um, that is one of the things that will kind of cause me to say, okay, you know, some things are fairly innocuous, but unfairness in a way that can be hurtful mm -hmm. to someone. I, I, you know, that's why I became a prosecutor, you know. I'd, um, Do you think uh, you are judged fairly? I will leave others to, to make that decision, mm -hmm. yeah. Our full interview with the vice president is available on our website at facethenation.com. Welcome back to Face the Nation and our annual CBS News Correspondents Year-End Roundtable. This year, we're joined by some of our beat reporters here in the Washington Bureau, including CBS News Senior White House and Political Correspondent Ed O'Keefe. Jan Crawford is CBS News Chief Legal Correspondent. Weijia Zhang is also CBS News Senior White House Correspondent. CBS News National Security Correspondent David Martin's also here. And finally, Nicole Killian, who is CBS News Congressional Correspondent. So it's good to have you all and see your bright, shiny faces in person. Um, Nicole, this has been just eight months of infighting and tangling over the Build Back Better spending bill that the White House has really made a signature issue for the president. Is it dead on arrival or is this just on life support in 2022? I think life support is a better way to look at it. I don't think Democrats are going to give this up without a fight, even with some resistance from Joe Manchin, because the reality is he has been resisting all along and expressing concerns, whether it's about the impact that Build Back Better could have on the economy, could have on inflation. That is something he reiterated towards the end of this year. So while right now it looks like Democrats are kind of at this stalemate, uh, Again, I think you will see Democratic leadership really try to prod him over these next couple of weeks to get on board. But Ed, doesn't this hurt Democrats uh, the longer this drags on? I think what's hurting them more than anything is the focus on the process of it all, which they themselves have allowed to be the focus by virtue of the arguments they've had in public, the incredible disagreements that they can't seem to get over, and the fact that the president... Uh, engages behind the scenes, but has done necessarily as much publicly to try to get the warring factions of his party together to say, let's just get a deal. Whatever comes of this Build Back Better debate may not be enough mm -hmm. when you ran in 2020 on a promise to do so much more and yet weren't able to secure a big enough majority to make it happen. So the threat for them is a depressed and confused and upset base of support that may not feel compelled to show up if this infighting continues to bleed into 2022 too much. Right. And if they remain so focused on all of that 
and don't get out in the country to try to sell and explain it to skeptical Americans. So right. Remember who is at the center of this, right? And that's Democratic Senator Joe Manchin, who has a lot less to lose politically sure. than the others because he comes from West Virginia, a deeply red state, and he's aware of that. So again, when you're talking about the political um, ramifications of this, he is probably thinking of that less and might even be thinking the other way mm -hmm. of how a no vote could garner even more support in his state. But what he has also argued is that this would hurt the economy. On the other hand, President Biden has argued this is just absolutely a requirement for the kind of economic recovery and rebuilding he says is necessary. So what's the strategy if you can't get two trillion through? Well, I think the problem is that, you know, when you look at West Virginia and you look at how poor it is, when you look at all the levels of unemployment and how much the need is there for some of the measures in the social spending plan, the poison pill is attached to it. And that is the president's sweeping climate proposals. So perhaps if there was a way to decouple them, mm -hmm. Manchin would be more on board. But I do not think that that is something that the White House would be willing to entertain because it's really their only and maybe last shot at passing um, these huge climate change proposals that he would like. West Virginia native yourself, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but Ed, um, you know, it is the Federal Reserve's job to control inflation, let's be clear here. Mm -hmm. But doesn't matter. Commander in Chief will get the blame for it if uh, spending continues to spike. Do you, does the White House believe that the price spikes are actually a short term issue? Oh, well, they thought that certainly at the end of the summer into the fall. But I think if you look at what the Fed has said since, uh, they now understand that this is going to continue further into next year. There's going to be this kind of, you know, once in a lifetime, perhaps economic disruption that leads to a long and painful and expensive reshuffling. And when things are bad economically, they take it out on those in charge. And that's Democrats. So you add that plus the historic nature of a midterm where the party in power usually loses seats anyway, right. and they know they could be in for a real shellacking. Dave Martin, um, you know, I was speaking to a White House official the other day who was talking about the holiday season and saying Vladimir Putin may be making um, himself known to the world. Do we see a hot war in Europe at the beginning of 2022? Well, the estimate is that once the ground freezes uh, so that Russian tanks and personnel carriers can get good traction, they'll be, they'll be liable to go from all those western districts of Russia into eastern Ukraine. I mean, what Putin is trying to do here is basically walk back history mm -hmm. by pulling Ukraine back into the Russian sphere of influence. And he's made these demands like he needs a legally binding guarantee that Ukraine will never be allowed to join NATO. I mean, surely he knows that's a non-starter. So the question here is, is that just his going in position? Or is that his pretext for an invasion once his demands are, are turned down? Well, we went through a, a part of this back in 2014 when Vladimir Putin annexed part of Ukraine. Mm -hmm. He did it in a different way last time. Why so overt? this time with a military buildup? Well, there's a uh, much more substantial military force uh, waiting for him. Ukraine has been getting uh, military equipment from the U.S. Um, so it, it requires a, uh, a bigger operation. Whether they launch that operation, of course, mm -hmm. remains to be seen. But the U.S. 
clearly has intelligence that goes beyond the simple fact that these units are uh, gathering together there in Russia. They know something about what the Russian military staff is planning and what they intend to do with those forces. And you know, right now, they are clearly making the preparations, making the plans to go in to eastern Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Whether or not it happens, Vladimir Putin may not know yet. Right, and U.S. intelligence says he hasn't made up his mind. But mm -hmm. of course, this is being watched because it's a test case of what President Biden will do and how he will respond to an adversary and on the heels of Afghanistan, which yeah. looked quite chaotic. This is a big test. It is. Um, I think one of the, uh, the big dangers uh, for 2022 is that countries like China, Russia, Iran are going to look at what happened in Afghanistan and decide the U.S. is a spent force and we can roll. And that's not a good uh, mindset to be in. No. Um, Jan. I just have to say, every time we do these annual correspondence panels, David says something that, <laughs> that you know, makes my heart stop. <laughs> yeah. We're all kind of running around chasing well. kind of shiny objects, and David just says, listen, I mean, it's every year. Every, every year. year. Right? And you know what's scary is he's usually right. Oh, no, I know. <laughs> Believe me. But, Jan, in terms of predictions, the big one that I remember you making uh, just a few uh, weeks back about the future of Roe versus Wade in the Supreme Court was that we won't really know the answer to the question on the court's direction until maybe June. Right. I mean, and, and history is a guide for that as well, if you want to look back. In 1992, which is the last time the Supreme Court had a frontal assault on Roe versus Wade, they were at the brink of overturning it then. They had five votes to overturn it. And then at the last minute, of course, Justice Kennedy, uh, former Justice Kennedy, switched his vote to preserve it. Uh, so while there may be five votes now, and I suspect that there are, uh, anything can happen between now and June. So those who are saying it will be overturned are perhaps it's, taking too early a call. It may, may well be overturned. I would not be surprised. And what does that scenario look like? Then we just have a patchwork of different states with right. different laws. Yeah, the court would take uh, a position that, as conservatives have long maintained since Roe was released, that it's a lawless opinion with no basis in the Constitution. There's not a right to an abortion in the Constitution. That would mean that the court would be neutral, and the Constitution is neutral on the issue of abortion, so it would go back to the states. Uh, and the legislatures, which are closer to the voters, as the argument, would then decide uh, whether to allow abortion, what restrictions to allow the political process uh, would happen in the individual states or in Congress. But it would take the court out of the issue of abortion, basically, and let the state legislatures decide. To Jan's point, keep an eye on the states. We're going into a year where you're going to have dozens of competitive governor's races. And I would argue, at least in recent history, this will probably be the most consequential cycle for governor's races for a lot of reasons. One, because abortion may very well become an urgent issue. Two, because voting rights remains a concern and there are ways in the states for either party to restrict or expand access. But for the biggest reason, perhaps, if certain presidential battleground states swing towards control of one party or another, they are potentially setting out the playing field going into 2024. Mm -hmm. You have big races in places like Wisconsin, Michigan, Georgia, Arizona, which were all deciding factors in 2020. If Republicans take full control of those, there will be pressure put on them by a certain former president to put some things in place that would make it harder. But when you go to those state capitals, Nicole, I mean, what is it, 19 states, 33 laws that make it harder for Americans to vote. 
The White House points to that. They look at the anniversary of the January 6th siege of the Capitol, and they say politically, or at least optically, they're going to start talking about um, building momentum for voting rights. Does anything actually get passed in 2022? I mean, again, I think it comes down to the numbers. It is going to be a difficult thread to, to weave. But as I said, I think there will be a very deliberate effort to try to move forward on it if they can. The White House wants to get caught trying, Lija. Oh, absolutely. We were just talking to some White House folks who said, you know, they were really realistic about this as well. And they know that um, it it is going to be a struggle. Mm -hmm. the, the problem is the president knows also how critical this issue is for the black community. He's aware of the promises that he's made. So he has to show that he is at least doing everything he can to get it done. And David, all of this gets intertwined into uh, January 6th and the uh, insurrection. When you look at what's happening right now and the folks you talked to at the Pentagon, do they believe the biggest national security threat is internal or external? Internal, no they question. No, military people will, will say that to you. The biggest threat to the United States of America is a reincarnation of January 6th. And if we lose our democracy, what the heck does all that other stuff matter? Who cares about hypersonic weapons if you, mm -hmm. if you don't have a democracy? So, yes. Jim, when you look to the courts and this question of faith in our institutions, when we look around the Capitol, there's a lack of faith in a lot of institutions. True, although Is that Supreme still there in the court? No, I mean, I think, yeah, I think there's still faith in the United States Supreme Court, and historically and even recently, it's been the institution that polls the best way better than Congress and certainly the press. Um, and, and, you know, <laughs> you picked like the two lowest there, <laughs> I did. Jen. Yeah, uh, used car salesmen are also yeah. there, and, and lawyers. Um, but the court has, and, you know, I think that that is the way the court has conducted itself, uh, you know, and, and, and Justice Breyer has been a big proponent of that. Uh, this court's senior liberal going out, talking to groups and expressing, uh, you know, his strong belief that you see that it's like this beacon of democracy. And, you know, that's gets to the question is, how much longer is Justice Breyer going to be around on that Supreme Court? He may very well retire this year. There's been a lot of pressure, of course, uh, from people on the left uh, that he would step down uh, while uh, President Biden could nominate and have his replacement confirmed. So, you know, there's a lot we could talk about about the court and its legitimacy. So far, it, it's definitely declined, but it hasn't taken the kind of hits uh, that other people have. Some people suggest that if they overturn Roe, uh, that would further weaken its Justice uh, Sotomayor. But on the that. right, they have just a different view that if they uphold Roe, uh, the quote law lawless decision that that would undermine it. So, you know, those arguments cut both ways as well. It dipped after Bush versus Gore, but then it ticked back up again. But it's important, as Justice Breyer points out, the Supreme Court doesn't have a standing army to go enforce its decisions. Mm -hmm. It relies on the public's confidence and trust. Do we assume that this is a Republican-controlled Senate, Republican-controlled House uh, in 2022? I think Republicans assume that, and that is what they are working toward. I mean, look, on the House side, it's really not that hard. There are only five seats they have to flip to get back in power. And so very often you will hear House Republicans even referring to Speaker Pelosi already as a lame duck speaker. So they're measuring the drapes, okay? <laughs> you know, in the Senate, it's a little trickier because of this split dynamic. Certainly it's possible, I'd say, at this stage in the game where it could go either way. Um, but I think, you 
you know, Mitch McConnell is there to stay. Um, and I think whether this, he's in the majority or the minority, I think you will see him continue to take that uh, role in the forefront. But uh, definitely history is not necessarily on the side of Democrats this go round. Right. And many of them have acknowledged, you know, that they do face some difficult headwinds going forward. I think it's difficult to imagine the president accomplishing much on his agenda um, when it was already so difficult with Democrats in control. And I think that actually exposed how much um, conflict there is within that party. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that they had anticipated it being done in the open in the way that it was. But even when you look at all of the president's successes, it came with a lot of public fighting um, when it came to the American Rescue Plan or even the bipartisan infrastructure law that just passed. You saw how moderates and progressives really butted heads and had to, um, you know, had to put that aside, but it was still out there. Everybody I don't think saw many it. Many Democratic leaders argue. I mean, that's the sausage-making process in Washington, mm -hmm. right? I mean, yes, we could all be kumbaya, but on the same token, there are some differences, and we mm -hmm. have seen that evolve in the party over the last couple of years. At the end of the day, they have gotten some things done, maybe not everything, but you know, it's right. a work in progress. Because right. the party has evolved so much, so I think that you know, we'll see. All right, um, we are going to take a quick break right now, and we will be back with more from our panel. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. We're back now with more from our correspondence panel, and this is when we ask you to do the thing you hate doing, which is predict the future. But they are informed predictions, I know. Um, Jan, what is it that you see happening in 2022? Well, I normally predict that Alabama will win the national championship, so, you know, that's getting kind of... Too easy to predict. Um, so, but I'm going to focus on the court and the issue of abortion. I'm, I, I predict that the Supreme Court will overturn Roe versus Wade. Um, say that the Constitution uh, and the court is going to be neutral on the issue of abortion, which would send that back to the states to decide how they wanted to handle it, specific state by state issue. The vote could well be six to three. Uh, with the Chief Justice joining the five more conservative justices after failing uh, to put forward a more incremental approach. That would have huge implications. Yeah. No, I mean, it would radically uh, shift the debate, which in, in the confirmation process uh, for Supreme Court justices, it would shift all of that mm -hmm. uh, back to the states. Uh, it would also mean that state legislators could no longer play politics with the issue of abortion, knowing that the Supreme Court uh, would overturn it. So it, all of a sudden in the state legislatures, those positions that politicians now are taking to pander to the left or more 
more specifically to the right, knowing the court will step in, all of that now is real. And so they will actually have to make real decisions based on what their voters want, or they're out of office. David? I'm gonna duck the, uh, the tough one of whether Putin will invade Ukraine or not. If he hadn't made up his mind, <laughs> I shouldn't have to make up mine. <laughs> um, there are two mysteries out there. What's causing Havana syndrome, this, these debilitating symptoms that hit Americans overseas that seem to be the subject of some kind of directed energy mm -hmm. attack. And where are these unexplained aerial phenomena we call UFOs, these drone-like objects that show up in the middle of U.S. military exercises? Where the heck are they coming from? So I'm predicting one of those two will be solved in 2020. 22. We'll hold you to it, David. Okay. <laughs> I can't follow that. <laughs> um, you know, I've been thinking a lot about the president's goals ever since he took office and how um, a curveball like Omicron can just set everything back. And um, I, I do predict that things are going to get worse before they get better with the pandemic. And I don't think that the president will implement any lockdowns or restrictions that we saw in 2020, which is something that we've been talking about a lot because, um, you know, what can you do if you can't force someone to get the vaccine and the virus continues to spin out of control? Is he going to, um, you know, have another 15 days to slow the spread? And I think the answer is no, because he is so committed to his economic agenda and he understands what a shutdown would mean. So I think it will be up to states and local officials to do that, but I don't predict any federal federal guidelines um, for shutdowns in and, 2022. And even the governors are hesitant because Correct. of the political cost at yes. this point. So Ed, it's up to you to protect yourself. All of us to protect ourselves. Uh, what is your prediction for 22? I'm going to tiptoe slightly in the direction of what you and David cover with this by predicting that the president, once we get clear of the worst of this and once he's able to globetrot a little more, will make trips in the coming year to Latin America and Africa. You didn't put Ireland on there. I did not put Ireland on there because that one's going to happen no matter what. But Latin America and Africa, and, and people may wonder why, they have to remember everything this president does has China in the background. Mm -hmm. And this would be designed as an attempt to go to those parts of the world and say, stick with democracy, stick with the United States, avoid the Chinese influence and investment that's coming your way, and remember that we stand with you as well. President Trump didn't go to Africa. There's been a belief in the Biden administration that such a trip needs to happen sooner rather than later. Latin America as well, with so many struggling democracies in that part of the world, going would send a big signal and he would try to meet with some leaders from that region. But those are two trips they would probably like to make and I predict he will make. Nicole? I think in terms of the midterms, I think one dynamic to watch and in covering politics for many years now, we keep talking about the increased number of women who are running and people of color. And I think especially when you look at black women in particular, I think you will see a barrier being broken, whether that's in the Senate or whether that's in the governor's mansion. And I think what's jaw dropping is there has never, never been a black woman elected as governor in mm -hmm. U.S. history. You have five running. Stacey Abrams, you have candidates in South Carolina, Massachusetts, Oklahoma, Iowa. There are a number of lieutenant governors. We'll see Winsome Sears be inaugurated in Virginia, the first African-American woman lieutenant governor for that state, a Republican. Uh, I also think, you know, for all of the talk of having the first black president, Barack Obama, having the first 
black vice president and, and vice president of South Asian descent. I think sometimes people forget that there's a deficit now in the Senate, as diverse as Congress is right now. There's no black women in the Senate. So you have a number of candidates, Val Deming, Sherry Beasley, and others who are running. But I do think those are two spaces to watch in the midterms in 2022. All right. We'll be watching. Thanks to all of you for joining us. Have great holidays. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. That's it for us today. Thank you for watching, and we want to wish you a very happy and healthy new year. We'll see you in 2022. For Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were Vice President Kamala Harris and a roundtable of our CBS Washington reporters, Chief Legal Correspondent Jan Crawford, Senior White House Correspondent Weijia Jiang, Senior White House and Political Correspondent Ed O'Keefe, National Security Correspondent David Martin, and Congressional Correspondent Nicole Killian. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Shelley Schwartz. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com. And you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation's also on our digital network, CBSN, at 12 p.m. and 4 p.m. Eastern Time every Sunday. If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. 
I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings early and ad-free on the 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts.